0: What's the most dynamic church that you could think of? And just, I want you to think about that and just kind of save that. A lot of it has to do with what you consider to be dynamic, right? And uh, we could, I mean, I I love coming into a church where I identify with the worship music. And I love hearing a message that I can relate to. Uh, I love not having a lot of extra junk. Um, I love where prayer is effective. But um, there are some issues that go deeper than that. And uh, when, when we walk through the book of 1 Corinthians and we get into chapters 12 through 14, Both 12 and 14 spend a great deal of time dealing with um, the spiritual gifts. And uh, Paul is, is straightening some things out, but it's his most extended teaching on gifts. But right in the middle, he clumps a whole teaching about love. And so even though he's saying this dynamic that you have going on is incredible and he's tweaking different things and fine-tuning it, he's still coming to the place of saying, there's something really more important than even your expression of the gifts. He, sa- he, he does not say, stop the gifts. In fact, he encourages it, but he is spending a lot of energy on saying that love is, as a group or as a, a, a defining um, thing of who you are is more important than being known by your gifts. And so um, I I think part of that then we better do some definition in regard to love because, you know, in in our culture primarily when we, you know, so-and-so is in love, what's that mean? Well, it means they are wound up and infatuated or just gaga over someone, right? You know, where it's like, Everything that person does is wonderful. Everything about them looks great. Everything, you know, and makes you want to vomit after a while, right? No, 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 no. You go, know, who is that person? Um, but that that's a very narrow definition for love, right? And, and then there is the type of love that is kind of a compatible or a shared thing where, you know, uh, you, you do this chore and I'll do this chore and we get together and it just works great. And that's, you know, we love each other because we, we share a lot of life. And yet uh, what Paul gets into in this is something that is more of a, a giving, identifying with who God is by his character and saying God is giving, God is loving, so we want to become like that as well. And so he's, he's addressing this thing and saying, if you want to define yourselves as a group, you really want to define yourselves by the love that you show. And so I want to walk through this. Uh, chapter 13, what if I talk with languages of humans and angels? If I did not love others, I'd be nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He didn't appreciate the drums all that well, it appears. But um, anyway, the, the potential in this is to say, if a person has these gifts, it's very dynamic in a group, right? You know, being able to speak other languages, to, to in a sense, give a word. It doesn't require really much preparation, if any, and it it doesn't uh, require much out of the person. It's just something that happens in the moment, so to speak. And he's kind of going, you know, it's like, what a great gift to have. I'm because th- it's no work. There's nothing, you know, no investment. Just get up and blurb, and and suddenly, you know, you're you're bringing something wondrous to the group. And there is a wonder in that, but trying to get along with that alone, he says, that's, that's not enough. And then he goes on and he says, um, what if I could prophesy and understand all secrets and all knowledge? This is like the opposite. This is like coming in fully prepared and being the wise one in the midst, or whenever a question comes up, to just have the answer. Or being able to look into the future and just say, this is going to take place. And so it's like this wondrous thing of uh, what a, an incredible benefit to a group to have that functioning and to have people that are able to do that. But you know, again, it's, it's one of those things that um, if, if, if you're like the smartest person in the room, There's a lot of potential for pride to take over, right? And there's a lot of um, potential to just um, rely on your ability and say, that's enough. You know, I have this God-given gift, so I share it with others, you know. Um, He's going, that's really not enough. What if I had faith that moved mountains? He said, I'd be nothing unless I loved others. So again, that's one of those, I mean, I saw something recently. Somebody was, they had prayed, and uh, virtually everyone in, the, in the, the meeting was healed. And I have to admit, that at times there's a twinge of jealousy. It goes, God, I sure would like to see that happen. I'd like to see that through me, you know. I, I'm, I get tired of, hearing others happen, you know. But a lot of that is attached to my own personal pride, realistically. It's not that I feel so bad about the illnesses you might have, but I'd really like to heal you. It'd mean, do well for me. There are, he's, he's, he is taking these gifts that are amazing, I mean, they, they had incredible prophetic gifts in their group, this church that he's writing to. They had incredible teaching. They'd had both Paul and Apollos there. So they had had some dynamic things going on. And yet he's going, if love isn't core to this, it's not enough. And so again, when, if we were to say, what is what's the most dynamic church you can think of, somewhere in our definition, there has to be, this is a really loving group. And how does that get expressed? Um, Here's another one. What if I gave away all that I owned and let myself be burned alive? I'd gain nothing unless I loved others. So sometimes coming into the kingdom of God, we lock in and dial down to this thing of, I will, I will do everything in my power to advance the kingdom of God. And I will sacrifice my life so that, that God's kingdom can go forward. In some ways, it's like saying, I'll work harder than anyone else. I'll earn my way by doing this. And he's going, that isn't necessarily an indicator of love. You know, we could say, well, you sacrifice your life, you're, you, it's obviously a, a love of God. But in some ways, Paul's saying, if it isn't coming out in tangible expression to others, it's not truly the love of God. But maybe it's even this thing of trying to earn your way into heaven, trying to, trying to attain the favor of God by doing. Um, worth chewing on anyway. Sometimes we can give to God without having any concern for others. And he's saying that's, that's not healthy. Then he goes into a definition. He says love is kind and patient. And again, I guess As we walk through this, it would be appropriate to say, Lord, if you want to reveal something about my life or an investment you want in another in this season, as I walk through this, why don't we ask him to reveal that, okay? So, uh, patient, never jealous, you know, angry at others flourishing or frustrated that others have the gifts, so to speak or boastful, proud or rude. So those are things that just are not attached to love. And so again, we look at that and we say, okay, I better <laughs> I better examine and evaluate. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So again, why am I doing something? Is it is it about me, or is it for me, or is it really an investment in others? It's interesting to me to note, too, that he, he, he really nailed the two types of, of anger, that quick blow, you know, the, the, the fire it out and be done with it, or that slow simmer that kind of records everything. I tend to be the slow simmer. I stew. <laughs> I cook it a long time. <laughs> And then when I say it, uh, you know, I, when I express it, it's, it's well-defined. <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> it's not a healthy thing, but that's each of us has our type, so to speak. We're saying that's not really the expression of God. Okay instead love rejoices in truth but not in evil so even even in cases when there's somebody that's doing well that you don't like how come they got that or how come they're not having to pay the price for this it, it it doesn't get caught up in that kind of thing love is supportive loyal, hopeful, and trusting. That's the kind of people we want to become. Now he goes in and he says, Love never fails. Everyone who prophesies will stop, and the unknown languages will be no longer spoken, and what we know will be forgotten. I, I look at this as being a declaration about eternity when we step into the presence of God. Some translate this difference. Uh, But that's the way I read it, that, you know, in this temporal life, there's a lot going on that'll be different in the future. Um, But that said, I don't, well, some will say when the Bible was complete, then all these gifts stop, and, and I don't believe that. And for one, I don't believe that Paul even knew that he was writing Bible necessarily. Uh, when, when he's writing these personal notes to people and he's talking about his own fo- foibles, um, I don't think he thought that that letter would be around this long. But nevertheless, um, you'll have to wrestle through this particular issue yourself. But it goes on and says, When we were children, we thought and reasoned as children do. But when we grew up, we quit our childish ways. So he says there's a a maturing that takes place. And in Christ, the maturing is learning how to love others. Now, all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture. Later, we'll see him face to face. We don't know everything, but then we will just as God completely understands us. So again, to me, that's a picture of eternity, standing before God and saying, All of that down there, there wasn't a whole lot that really mattered. Even though we got caught up in it every day, and even though it seemed so important in the moment, and even so it seemed like such a big deal, in eternity it just is not going to make that much difference. From now on, there are faith, hope, and love, but these three, the greatest is love. To me, faith is that acceptance of the truth of God, hope is that that um, ability to, the unseen expectation, and of course, love is what we've just walked through with us. Now, if Paul had been the only one to talk this way, it probably wouldn't be that important. I mean, or we wouldn't see it quite as crucial, but when we walk through the scriptures, we see that it's all through. So that um, you know, later Paul goes when he's talking to Timothy and he's saying, "Don't get caught up in myths and endless genealogies." And you know, they they were wrestling through their righteousness as Jews by their genealogy. He's going, "That's that's foolish talk." When we come into the works of God and def- and defining our, our becoming what He wants us to become. He says the goal of all of that work in Christ, so to speak, is love, which comes from a, a, a pure heart, which to me is motivation. You know, like when I, when I choose to do something, it has the, what, what's driving it? What's, what's, what's the force behind it? Is it that attempt to honor God or is it something rooted inside of me? If my motivation is pure, then my love can be pure. In the same way, conscience is one of those things that if my conscience is clouded, then regularly I'll do things trying to make up for or overcome or, or avoid, but it, it really has little to do with love. It, it, it isn't pure and then finally he's a sincere faith you know in other words I'm dialed into what God has and, and what he wants and as long as you know in other words if my past is clean with my conscience if my present motivation is pure and if my goal is righteous in faith then I have that opportunity of living this love the way that he wants but let's let's Meander for just a couple more minutes. Jesus, when asked, What's the greatest command? replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying, In regard to the Old Testament, if you want to define it and boil it down, what's the most important command to remember? Jesus says, That. Well, the man that's asking him says, Well, who's my neighbor? You know, and Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and when you come out of that, you're recognizing and going, whoever's in need is a neighbor, and whoever provides for the need of others is a neighbor. And so when we're looking around, it isn't about just next door, or is isn't just about seeing somebody broke down on the road, but it's acknowledging need and participating in the assist of others good Samaritan. Then Jesus goes on in John chapter 13. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And so again, he's saying, I am taking that love a step further. He says, just as I have loved you. Now he's going to lay down his life for them. And so he's saying, you want this defined well for you? This is the new commandment. You want to know how to live as a believer in me? This is it. Love one another. It's interesting that in Ephesians 5, when uh, Paul's writing about husbands, he says, a husband should love his wife as much as Christ loved the church. You know, he died for it. <laughs> I hate that verse. No, <laughs> It, well, it is one that, that really kind of lays it on the line, doesn't it? And just says, yeah, you want to you be into this thing? You want to, you know, walk with Jesus? Love, love, love. Yeah, this is what it's about. First John, again, the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So he's going... Our, our history is Christianity so far. They, they, they hadn't been very long. But what Christ had given them and what they had been telling to others, he's saying, we've got to love one another. Chapter 3, 16 through 18. By this you know that love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. He says, whoever loves has been born of God. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. This is the love of God has made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So in other words, he's saying, before we did anything, before we turned to Him, while we were in our sin, while we had failed Him, He provided for us in love. So in that, it's the character of God is such that by nature He loves even though it has not been returned to Him, even though it has not been initiated by another. It is given out. And so He says that's what we are being called to. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. So again, I just... It's such a core teaching, and it's such a... You have heard this many times, but it does well for us to review it regularly because this is more the measure of who we are than anything else that we can point to. And so we ask, you know, we are grateful that loving God has forgiven and is forgiving us and shall forgive us, right? I depend on that. I mean, I, I am trusting him for my past, but I am trusting him in the present as well. And even in the future, I know enough of who I am that I'm, <laughs> I'm still going to need that help. And so with that model, then we commit ourselves to living similarly and to having the same compassion about our lives as well. Not rooted in an emotional, oh, this is wondrous, or even in the sharing of a life together, but saying, he gave first, now I give as well. Praise to the Lord.